The following message by our pastoral intern, Cameron Bitzer, is brought to you by Together in Christ. Father, the giver of life, God, we look to you as creator, sustainer, provider. God, we're really nothing apart from you. We know that there's no purpose to our lives other than, other than to find our way towards you. God, to feel our way towards you and find you and to know you and be in a relationship with you. God, you've been gracious to bring us all here tonight. As I preach your word, God, I don't, I don't want to have an agenda for myself, but I, I really want to preach your word. And God, I want our hearts to be receptive to that. And I know that that's the work that only you can do. Your scripture makes clear that this, this comes from you. God, we, we, can't, we cannot see the kingdom of God lest someone be born again. So God, by your grace and by the power of your spirit, open our minds and hearts to really take in your word and to see you for who you are. And God, I trust that you will transform us in doing that. I pray that your will would be done and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. So obviously you guys can see you've never seen me up here before probably. This is my first time preaching ever. And so that's either going to be um, a very nerve-wracking thing for me and maybe the most frightening thing for you because you have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm going to make it my aim to really preach the word to you to the best of my ability. And... Um, in Pastor Matt's prayer earlier, at the start of service, he mentioned the new covenant. And that's something I'm going to be talking about tonight, is the new covenant. Um, that might ring a bell in your ears, or it might not. Um, the new covenant is it's something glorious to, to you if you're a Christian. It's something really, really glorious to you if you're a believer. Um, it was something that was established through Christ's blood, and that that's exactly found in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. You don't have to turn there, if, but you can if you'd like. I'm just going to read that. It's a short section of Scripture. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that, that's exactly what that is. The new covenant, we find forgiveness of sins. But when we're talking about the new covenant, it's not new because it's something better. I mean, we need to understand that there was a covenant before that. The Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, you might be familiar with this, but it's found in Exodus chapters 32 through 34. Um, what, happen, what happens there is God, he's establishing his, his covenant with Moses. When we talk about the Old Covenant, we're usually referring to the Mosaic Covenant. And God gave his law to the people of Israel. Um, but we know that the law wouldn't suffice to satisfy righteousness. It, Israel was never going to be able to obey the law. They, 
it was supposed to be sort of a mirror for Israel to really examine themselves and see that they're in need of a savior. But instead, they hardened their hearts against God and they broke the law. You know, they, they worshiped a golden calf right away before they even received the commandments. They promised God that they would obey everything, but they didn't. They, they, they broke the law and we see that being symbolized when Moses threw the tablets to the ground and he broke them. But then um, Moses basically pleads on Israel's behalf um, not to destroy them, but to minister himself through Moses. And so the, the covenant was God gave the tablets again to Moses and he came back down. And um, from the Lord writing the commandments on the stone, it, the glory was so bright as even the Lord walked away and hid Moses behind the cleft of a rock that the glory was actually shining from Moses' face. And so Moses came down from the mountain and all, the, all of Israel and Mo, I think it was Aaron as well, they, they almost cowered away from Moses because they couldn't bear to look at God's glory. And so a veil, Moses put a veil over his face and that really symbolizes an act of judgment against Israel and that they didn't get to see what was being brought to an end. But they, they, they didn't get to experience God's glory. It was almost a symbol of a, of a hard heart that Israel had towards God. And, and they, they didn't see, look to trust in a Savior. They, they went their own way and decided to try and establish a righteousness of their own, yet they, while they were continually breaking the law. And so the law, the, the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, which was given through Moses that, that was really serving to point us to our need for a Savior. It never suffice to give righteousness. And I, I want to read a section from Hebrews that's going to better, better talk about this than how I just did. Um, it's found in Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. The author says, But at, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is, is much more excellent than the old. As the old covenant, he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds faults with him when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed my concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and write them on their hearts. And I will, put, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor saying, know the Lord. And they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And this, this new covenant, which was ministered and inaugurated through the death of Christ, through Christ shedding his blood for us, this new covenant was, was being given to all, we know that it was promised to Abraham that, that a new covenant would come. 
He, God said to Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying through his offspring. It's a little spoiler alert, but this is what Pastor Tim's going to be preaching on, I believe, next week. At actual Israel, the children of faith, are, those, are, the, are, are Abraham's children. It's those of faith who, who are actually Israel. And so as God promises this new covenant to the house of Israel, he's promising it to those of faith. And it's, this, it's the gospel of Christ. It, that's really what it is. It comes down to his, his blood cleansing us and dying on the cross and raising from the dead, us being justified uh, through Christ, through faith alone, as you guys have been hearing constantly through Galatians. It's really what the new covenant comes down to, and we, we receive forgiveness of sins through that. And this gospel, Christ himself said, and uh, one of the gospels, he says, this, this gospel, the kingdom, it's going to be preached among all the nations. He himself said it's going to be preached among all the nations, and then the end will come. Right now, we're in a time where the gospel is, is being preached among all the nations. Throughout the past thousands of years, it, it's been it's been spread everywhere. And there, we know that there are still places where the gospel hasn't been preached. And um, I'm thankful for people like Gaetano, who are, who's willing to, to, do, to go to those places and spread the gospel. But we know that some of us are called to stay here as well and preach the gospel. And so as it's been spreading throughout history and to all the nations, we know that um, one great evangelist was Paul. He, he preached the gospel. And that, that was his calling. He was called to preach the gospel to not only the Gentiles. We know that he also preached it to the Jews, but mainly to the Gentiles. Um, he's, now, he's now brought the gospel to the Corinthians. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Um, he's brought the gospel to the Corinthians, and he's, he's ministering the new covenant to, their, to them. And I'm going to go ahead and read, read the full chapter, and then we're going to we're going to talk about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had no glory at all what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, 
we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That last verse, verse 18, is probably a verse that a lot of you guys are familiar with. Some of your translations may see uh, from glory to glory, that, that transformation that's being taken place. This is really why Pastor Tim gave me this passage, is we're going we're gonna to make our aim to get there. I'm not going to be able to go through verse by verse through the whole chapter. That, that'd take way too long. That's not what I'm going to be able to, to do tonight. I'm going to try and sum up what's taking place here in the book and well, you know, what he's saying and uh, the rest of the verses, but we, we're going to make it our aim to get to verse 18 tonight. And so I hope that as I read that chapter, you weren't, you weren't almost shouting with joy over how much more glorious our ministry is over, than, over the ministry of Moses. And I mean that in a way of lording it over those who don't believe. We see that there's a veil, there's a veil over Israel's heart. In the same case, we, we know that for all those who don't believe, in the gospel, there is a veil over their hearts. Their hearts are hard. The ministry of the new covenant promises, um, it promises a new heart. And so if the ministry is, of the new covenant is even being brought to the Gentiles, we can conclude that they have hard hearts too because we know that they'll be promised a new heart, a heart of flesh. And so I hope that our, we don't make it our aim to lord Lord, the great privilege we have of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. I hope we don't lord that over those who don't and almost in a negative way speak on people who aren't Christians because that's really something that they can't help. And I, a way we can picture that is you see Paul talking about Israel and how they, they don't believe the gospel. Paul's preached the gospel to Israel, the nation of Israel, and so many of them have rejected it. But yet you go to a passage like Romans 9, and what do, you, what do you see pouring out of Paul's heart? He says, I wish that I myself would be cut off for the sake of them. I wish that I myself would be cut off for the sake of them. So that's not what's taking place here. What's taking place in this chapter is Paul, he's really doing his best to try and encourage the Corinthians of their place in the New Covenant. There's many places in Scripture where, I mean, the, the point of the passage is really to command things of us. We, we know that. We can, we can find that in, in many places to command us to do certain things. But, but this chapter, it's not, Paul's not really trying to command anything from the Corinthians. He's really trying to encourage them of their place in the new covenant, of, of the genuine work of God that's happened in them. And I think that we, we often need that from each other is that 
you know, we, we, we often fall into places where we're not, we're not convinced. We, you know, we fall into disbelief. We fall into doubt of God's genuine work in us, but we need, we need each other. And David Stanley mentioned this this morning, but the role of a pastor, it's hard. You guys as pastors, they, they do their best and they make it their aim to encourage those of you who are in the faith that you certainly are in the faith. And they're going to do that from the standard of God's word that, that you know, you've genuinely believed in the gospel. I doubt you'll ever experience a Sunday here where the gospel is not preached. But the reason Paul has to make such an encouragement to the Corinthians is not for just the sake of encouragement. It's actually a similar theme that you guys might find in Galatians. It's a, it's a theme of people creeping into the church, false apostles, Judaizers. It's exactly what's taking place here. And it's really, it's really almost hindering Paul. It's almost hindering the Corinthians' faith. And in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul he talks about this very tearful and sorrowful letter that he's written to them. It's because these false apostles have crept in and led so many of them astray to doubt Paul's apostleship. And if you're doubting Paul's apostleship, you're also doubting the message that he preached. And so he's been, he's been making it his aim so far to really convince the Corinthians of his sincere apostleship. You know, the false apostles, they're coming in and they're saying things like, you, you shouldn't listen to Paul. He's, he's not legit. We're legit. We, got, we have letters of recommendation. Paul, he, look at him. He's pitiable. He suffers too much. He's not, he's not a real apostle. He, he, he suffers too much. He, no one, no follower of Christ would ever suffer that much. But, but Paul combats that and he says, my suffering after actually proves that I'm a real apostle. It actually proves that I'm a servant of Christ. It actually proves my genuine ministry and there's a couple other things he says about that, but, but when he approaches, when we get into the third chapter, what Paul is now doing is he's saying, I'm, I'm actually not, I don't have to prove myself to you. I, I, I will speak on how my suffering does make me a legitimate apostle, but, but he goes on to say in verse 2, you, you yourselves are my letters of recommendation. I don't need letters of recommendation like these false apostles. I, I have you guys. You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. If you understand the language that he's saying there, he's really drawing from a lot of what the prophets would speak on about the new covenant. They would say, the prophets would say, a new covenant is coming. One where God would say that I'm going I'm to give them my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to cause them to obey my commandments. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. And so this might, this might start clicking in the Corinthians' minds. That, wow, yeah, Paul, I think he's, he's actually right. I mean, you, you look at our lives and, and we, we can see that we have this spirit. And how do, how do we see that? Well, we, our hearts have been changed. We've now become obedient to God by the heart when before we were utterly rebellious and incapable of changing anything on our own. And this gospel that, that Paul preached to us, this is, this is what's been saving us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What has Paul been preaching to them? 
the gospel. He's been preaching to them the gospel of Christ. And he lays that out for them, what that looks like. He says, I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, by which you are being saved, if indeed you received it and, are, and did not believe in vain. And he goes on to say, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Before that, he was descended from David, according to the scriptures. We know that Christ is indeed a, a genuine man. He's God. He, he was capable of he was dying for our sins. He, he died for all of them. He, he satisfies God's wrath for us. And more than that, he was buried, and on the third day he raised in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and the other brothers, even more than 500 eyewitnesses. And this guy, he's already preached the gospel to them. He's already ministered the new covenant to them. But these false apostles are trying to overthrow that. Well, what are they doing? They're not just trying to overthrow Paul for the sake of doing that. They're promoting the old covenant. That's exactly what they were doing. The, the rituals, the ceremonies. The old covenant is still here. We still have to do those things. It's very similar to what's happening in Galatians. Very similar. Judaizers. That's what they are. They're, it's, a, it's a false gospel. It doesn't... It, it kills, like Paul said. He's like, you want... There's no, there's no way you could ever go back to that. I mean, do you, do you realize what, what David Stanley just preached on this morning? What, is he, what, is he, what did Paul say to the Galatians? Are you so foolish? There's no way you could, you could go back to that. And he's making this distinction here in verses 7 through 11. He, he says the, the Moses' ministry, the old, the old covenant. If you go back to those ways, I hope you realize that that ministry was one of death. It only... The only purpose of it was to point out our sin. It was a ministry of death, and the glory of it was being brought to an end. But this ministry that, that I've brought to you, I hope you see how much more glorious it is. This ministry, I, I, I've ministered the Spirit to you. I, I'm not sufficient for these things, but God's, he's made me sufficient for these things. I've ministered the Spirit to you. We know that the, the Spirit gives life, but the letter kills. The Spirit gives life, but the letter kills. And if, if this glory of the old covenant was being brought to the end, what can we conclude? Well, Paul's ministry it was full exposure to God's glory. Full exposure. It was not being brought to an end. We get, we get to see God's glory in Paul's ministry, in the ministry of the new covenant. And then later in that section, it says, Moses' ministry was one of condemnation. It was one of condemnation. I hope a verse comes to your mind when I say this. It was one of condemnation, but, but Paul's ministry was one of righteousness. How much do you, the distinction doesn't compare. If Moses' ministry served to condemn, why would you go back to that when, when Paul's glorious ministry gives you righteousness? Not only righteousness in the eyes of God through the blood of Christ, but righteousness from the heart. We, we now get to obey God. We're slaves to righteousness, like Paul says in Romans. And then Romans 8.1, this is the verse I'm talking about. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. And so the glory is being presented to, to the Corinthians and they're, they're, they're seeing how much, how much better their 
the ministry they've received from Paul is than these other false apostles. It's really what he's trying to encourage them. Don't, don't listen to them. I've, I've ministered the Spirit to you, and it's been, it's been from nothing out of my own self. I do it because it gives life. It gives righteousness. And he compares the two by saying, really, one, that ministry has no glory because of the glory that, that surpasses it. The two can't even compare. And a way to help you understand this is there's a reason you go outside during the daytime and you don't see stars. There's a reason. Because the glory of the sun surpasses that of the glory of the stars. The ministry of condemnation, it wouldn't compare to the ministry of righteousness. It wasn't supposed to bring righteousness. It, it really only served to condemn, but, but God promised this new covenant, this better covenant that he was going to give us through his son, Jesus. Is going to be one of righteousness, one of surpassing glory. And then lastly, he says, this ministry was of the old covenant of Moses. It was being brought to an end. It wasn't meant to continue. This glory of Moses' ministry it was being brought to an end. But my ministry, it's permanent. It's, it's not something that's going to fade away. Through Christ, you, you, you receive righteousness. You receive eternal life. And it never fades. The glory of it is permanent. It's eternal. And then we go on to verse 12 through the rest of the chapter. And, and Paul's basically saying, for this reason, I'm bold. Because of my hope of what God is doing in the ministry of the new covenant, which he has made me a minister, he's, the Spirit is going forth. In Colossians 1, Verse 6, we, we see that Paul even says to them, the gospel is going forth throughout the whole world and it has come even to you and it is bearing fruit among you. It is bearing fruit among us. And for this reason that the, Paul has been made a minister and he's able to minister righteousness and life through the Spirit. And it's a ministry far more glorious. That he's, he's able to be bold, so bold as to say that because of the hope that he has. And now I want to come to read 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm not going to be able to talk about these other verses too much, but I might mention them a little bit as we look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. An important thing to start out as we understand this, path, this, this verse is that as Paul starts out, he says, and we all. The, the Greek right there, it's, it's talking about all without exception. And not all without ex exception in sort of a universal way in that every, this is talking about every single person. Well, no, he, he says in the verses prior that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. This comes from the Spirit. We don't have veils over our hearts. We don't have veils over our, our eyes, over our faces, that prevent us from beholding God's glory. 
And what the false apostles were getting to the point where they would say is, Israel, look, Paul's just making feeble attempts to prove himself to you. Paul would say no. The re- or the false apostles were saying, the reason that Israel doesn't believe is a re- Israel isn't believing the gospel. And therefore, Paul's ministry, it's, it's fake. Israel would receive it. But Paul's saying no. The reason Israel doesn't receive the gospel is because the same veil remains unlifted even to this day. The same veil remains unlifted. But then he's talking about for all those who have been set free by the Spirit. This is the joy that we have as a part of the new covenant. If we've, if we've believed the gospel, that Christ has died for our sins, that he's been raised from the dead for our justification, and that through faith alone we're made right with God, if if we're a part of the new covenant, this is, this is the joy that we have. We get, to, we get to say that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Then this is for all of us. This is our Christian life. It's really, it's summed up in this verse. I want to read a quote from from John MacArthur. Some of you may, may know him. He's a prominent pastor and theologian today. And this is what he says. He was, he was asked, you know, if you could choose a favorite verse and write a book on it, you know, what would it be? And it was hard for him. He basically said, I don't know if I can do that because whatever verse I'm preaching on, whatever verses I'm preaching on the, that week, that's my favorite verse. But he made the conclusion to say, that he was going to choose a verse on sanctification. He says, Between our justification and glorification is the lifelong work of God in us, separating us from sin and increasing our Christ-likeness. This is sanctification, and it is the present work of God in every believer until we reach glory. The verse that best reveals this work of the Holy Spirit is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so that's what we're coming here today, coming here for today. We're really coming to see what it looks like to be sanctified. And we all, with unveiled face, we get to freely behold God's glory. I hope you guys know that. How, I think it's often that in our lives as believers, we get to the point where we think God really doesn't want to show himself to us. He doesn't really want to do anything with us. We, we get guilty over our sin and we, we have an unhealthy f- fear of God, not fear in the sense that the Bible talks about it in this holy reverence towards God, but it's a fear of, of, of destruction. It's a, it's, a, it's a fear that we don't, we don't really want to come to God because we're, we're, not, we're not like him. He's, he's too good. He, he would punish us if we, if we tried to give ourselves to him and it, it's unhealthy. But, but we can be confident that what Paul says just a couple verses later is through Christ, the veil is taken away. Through Christ, the veil is taken away. We, are, we have unveiled faces because, because Christ has taken the punishment that we deserve. We have the right to behold God's glory with an unveiled face through Christ. The, another reason that Israel was covered with his veil Yes, it was an act of judgment and that they didn't get to see God's glory, 
but it was also an act of mercy because God's glory would have totally obliterated them. It would have destroyed them. The Lord said that if he were to go in the midst of them, it would destroy all of them. And so we get the privilege to to really behold God's glory with an unveiled face. So, so starting now, you, re, you really need to have the mindset that you're, if you've believed in the gospel, you have every right to approach God. You have every right to, to seek after him. That's, that's a privilege in the life of a believer. And there won't, growth won't happen if we're not willing to, to really seek after the Lord, to seek his face. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, this beholding, well, what is that? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, I think what Paul is trying to say is it's the gospel of Christ. For so, there was, was a period in my life where for so long I considered myself a Christian, but I really didn't see the gospel as glorious. I didn't have a mind on the gospel daily. I would... I would walk out and try and live my Christian life and do what I thought I needed to do. And then come Sunday, I would hear the gospel preached and I'd be like, wait, that's important. That's, I, I ought to be believing that. And I realized that I didn't really see the gospel as glorious early on in my walk with Christ. I didn't really see the glory of God in the gospel. And why is the gospel the glory of God? Well, he read a few verses later in chapter 4, starting in verse 3, Paul says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light, light, shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory we're beholding is Jesus. It, it always will be. He's altogether glorious. If we don't see him as glorious, there's a problem because we're not going to be compelled to do what we ought to do. As we, as we behold God's glory, the whole point of our lives is to be conformed into his image. And you see this in Romans 8, 29. Paul says, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that we, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Really the goal in all of our walk with Christ is to become more like him. And we, we, we so often put our emphasis on so many other things other than the gospel and other than becoming like Christ. For example, say a new believer walks into your life. Someone, someone new and they're asking you, I mean, I, I, I've, ju I've just believed the, the gospel and I, I, I want to 
I want to know more. I want to grow. What, what should I do? Amen. And what, what is our emphasis on? I mean, I can't answer that question for you, but what would you say? I know where Paul's emphasis is. He would say, gaze at the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's what's going to transform you. I mean, when you, when you understand what he's done for you in the gospel, and when you really, when you really see who he is, I mean, his humility, his meekness, his patience, his love, his joy in enduring such suffering, all for my sake. Feeble me. I've, been, I've, I've done nothing but rebel against God my whole life. Yet the Lord took on the form of a servant for my sake that I might, I might come to know him. Well, why, why does Peter say he suffered? That he might bring us back to God. And when you see the great love that he ha- has for us, well, I mean, what does that do? It compels me to love in the same way. It really, I mean, once I've received the Spirit and, and my heart has been changed, there's now this, this, this love that I have for not only the saints, I mean, I'm able to love believers and Christians I mean, the connection that I have with them in Christ, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's great. But I'm also able to love those who, who don't love me. I'm able to, to show them a love because I was, I was the most undeserving of any, any love in the world, and yet God chose to send his only son that I might not perish but have everlasting life. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as, as we examine ourselves and really see, I mean, am I, am I being transformed? Is, is my, has my heart changed? I mean, you look at yourself, and an easy way to, to tell that is we, we know Paul's encouraging the Corinthians. You know, you've been transformed from one degree of glory to another. Do not look at yourself and expect perfection because that's not what, this, it's not what this passage is talking about. We know that we're only going to be perfected when we, when we really do reach glory. I mean, that's what John MacArthur is saying. It's this process, this work of God in our lives as he begins to, to take us away from the, the sinful desires that we have and replace them with Christ, with Jesus. And this is the work God is doing in the world He's preaching his gospel and, and we have the joy that it's come to us. I mean, God has loved us enough to, to open our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I now in my life, because I've received the spirit and I've believed in that, the sin that I once so loved, I mean, the wickedness that I once craved and I sought after, it's now being changed to where, no, what does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I, I've been crucified with Christ. I can't take pleasure in those things anymore. I, I've, I've died with him. He, he bore my sin in his body on the tree. That's what Peter says. He bore our sins in, in, in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The point of the gospel is to change you into the image of Christ, not only to give you eternal security, 
eternal salvation. I hope you don't ever get into the place where you're able to tell people, all right, you believe in the gospel, you're saved, time to move on to bigger and better things. Well, you're, you're in the real deal now. You get, to, you get to focus on other stuff. You get to really get in the meat. I'll tell you what the meat is. It's the gospel. It never stops at justification. The believers need, they need the gospel throughout sanctification until we're glorified. And even then, we know that through revelation, we're going to be praising God that salvation comes from him. That's why Paul was so eager to preach the gospel to the Romans. They were believers. What's the first thing he says to them? I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm so eager. I've been made a minister of it. And I want you to be obedient from faith. I want you to be obedient from faith. And so in our lives, if we're putting emphasis on all that we do, if we put our emphasis on, on all that we do and, okay, you're a Christian, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. If that's where our emphasis is, I'm not saying those things are bad things, but I'm saying that our emphasis must be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our emphasis must be there because it's out of a heart that knows God's love for us that the Holy Spirit works. It changes us, changes my desires. The sin that I, I once so craved and loved, I now, I now have to say it's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what, that's what we make our aim in the process of sanctification is that, is that we want to behold God's glory daily in the gospel. Every day when you wake up, you're going to be tempted, as, just as I am, you're going to be tempted to really, to really get your mind off of heavenly things, to go to straight to all the worries, cares, and desires that you have today. Well, what should I do? I need to, I need to read my Bible more. I need to, I need to pray. I need, well, do, do I have a chance to to talk to someone about Jesus today, I mean, rather than, and those things are good, but where is our emphasis? Is it on, wow, I mean, God, God he loved me. He, he gave himself for me in Christ. In him, I have the ability to die, die to sin and live to righteousness. That's where our emphasis must always be. And we know, and I take great joy in this, that as God is restoring his image that was corrupted at the fall, restoring us all to the image of Christ, waiting for his return, <laughs> this work is not done through me. It's not done through you. We're not sufficient for these things, but God's made us sufficient. He's, he's given us his Holy Spirit. And we're tempted to really put everything on our backs. We're tempted to to make, make sure it's all on us. And there is a sense in which we, uh, a real big role of sanctification is you doing things, but we must understand that the power to do those things only comes through the Holy Spirit. It only comes from God. And so when you examine your life and your walk with Christ, are you, are you always anxious about everything? Are you always constantly worrying if you're doing everything right? I mean, take Paul for an example, even what he's saying to the Corinthians. He has great confidence in the ministry he's, he's done with them. He's, he has great confidence in that. He's, he's bold. 
Does, or are we constantly worrying? Or do we, have, do we have a peace in what we do, knowing that, that it's God who does the work? And when you share the gospel, which is, which is a great thing in, in worship that, that helps us grow in Christ is when we share the gospel. What happens there? Are you, are you, do you have peace in that? Do you have peace in the Spirit working those things, that it's really just you planting and watering, but that it's God giving the growth? Do you have peace in that? Or are you worrying, saying, I, I, I screwed up, it's not going to work? So we can really examine ourselves and see if we're really dependent upon ourselves or if we're really confident in that our sanctification and our transformation comes from the Spirit. And this is a new covenant transformation. It's one that's, that's permanent. It's one you can't lose. You're always going to be tempted and that enemy is always going to lie to you and tell you that you've finally screwed up enough. It's over. It's over for you. You're done. But no, this is, this is a transformation not from, from justification to glory and then, well, you lost it. No, it's, it's from glory to glory until we're, we see Christ and we're able to say like John, well, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And so remember that the gospel, it compels you to be made into the image of Christ, to, to be obedient from the heart. When I understand how much God loves me and really, really grasp more of the gospel every day, and really, really go there and run there to, to see the great love with which he has loved me in Christ. I mean, that compels me to love in the same way. That's why, I mean, go back to John. What does he say? We love because he first loved us. That's why we love, because he first loved us. It comes from, from beholding God's glory in the gospel. The Spirit uses that knowledge in our lives and, and actually makes us into the image of Christ. You don't have to understand how that happens. That's a work of God. You don't really have to grasp your mind for that to, be, to really happen. And just want to close up with a little example of that. Paul was on the road to Damascus. And he did have the privilege of seen quite a literal glory come from heaven. He did have that privilege, but I mean, what Paul's talking about here, it's not, a, it's not a physical glory. It's a glory of transformation that shows Christ's likeness. There's really nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like it. And he goes from, in Acts 9, going to persecute the church, he then says, look. He, he goes into the synagogues there, and what does he say? He's the son of God. He's the son of God. The gospel has already transformed Paul so drastically. And then you, you look later in his pastoral epistles to 2 Timothy. When he, what does he say there? I've, I've finished the race. It's done. I, I've, I've kept the faith. I mean, you see the drastic change in Paul's life when he, when he hated Christ. He, I mean, he went to, to persecute the church, to, to cut them off. He, he, he hated God. To then God giving him his spirit and shining in his heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and it totally transformed him. And I want you to know that that same thing is promised to you if you believe in the gospel. 
You're no longer enslaved to sin, but you're set free from those desires that held you down. And your eyes are open to see how glorious Christ is. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. And I think that's why Paul is able to say so boldly, my ministry is far more glorious. My ministry is far more glorious. And so I want you to, if you leave anything here today, just remind yourself to preach the gospel to yourself daily. To, to pray and ask God, because he can do far more abundantly anything you think or ask. I'm sure of that. Ask of God, Lord, open my eyes to see Christ is glorious. God, I, I, re- I really do, do whatever it takes. Break my hard heart. God, soften my heart to be obedient to you. God, conform me into the image of Christ because you might be able to say, oh, I'm, I'm like Christ. But how do people perceive that? It's not some mystical thing. It manifests itself in a heartfelt obedience and love for Christ and what he's done for you, out of what, if, what he's done for you. We love because he first loved us. All right, let's pray. Father, God, I know I'm, I'm encouraged and God, you, you, by your grace, have stirred up my affections for you. God, I pray that the same would happen in all of the lives of the people here, God, that you would, you would really, by your spirit, God, uh, open their eyes to see Christ as glorious. I, there's nothing else that matters. I and mean, when it comes down to us, I, it's not about what we do, but it's about who we are what we're becoming and that we're found in Christ, that we're being conformed to the image of your son. God, you said that everything in our lives, you work together for good for those who love you. God, that you would conform us into the image of his son. So I, I by your word, I ask you that by the power of your Holy Spirit for everyone here, God, if they're not saved, God, open their eyes to the gospel and give them faith. But if they are saved, continue to, by your grace, God, light up their eyes to see Christ as glorious and to, by your, the power of your spirit, God, be transformed into that same image that the whole world would see us and know that we're disciples of Christ because we radiate your very glory and that they would see you in us. And God, that they would all return to you in praise and glory that we would not store up any of this for ourselves out of selfish ambition. But God, I, I really just want a genuine love for Christ. I really want to know how much he's loved us. Help us to, together, God, know your love that surpasses all knowledge. This can only come from you. So God, I ask, of, I ask that of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to a message by our pastoral intern, Cameron Bitzer from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.